Well, good morning. Good morning to all of you here uh, that are joining us over in the Fellowship Hall. And uh, for those of you here in our worship center, we have had a wonderful time of worship already together. And so turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 if you have a copy of the Word of God. And if you don't have one, you're going to need one today. There's one in the pew rack right in front of you in this room over there in the modern worship service. Uh, if you want a hard copy of the Scripture, just raise your hand. That would be our gift to you, if you don't have a hard copy of the scriptures, you want one, our deacons will find a way to get you that copy. Just raise your hand up. Uh, the rest of you, find your place either in the Word of God here or maybe you have it on your digital device, however you want to do that. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is one of the most familiar passages in all of scripture because if you've been to a wedding any time in your lifetime, the chances of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 being read or recited are pretty good. This is the chapter on love, on love, and so it's a wonderful passage, but we want to understand the context in which Paul writes this local church about love. And really, what he wants to communicate is this simple truth, that love is the heart of the body of Christ. Love really is. This action of committing ourselves to one another is really the heart of the body. You know, I had dinner, uh, Shree and I had dinner with a, a doctor friend and his wife this past Friday, and I knew what the title of today's sermon was, and I'd studied throughout the day Friday, and I asked him, I said, you know, just tell me about the heart. We all know it's the most important um, part of the body because it, it is the engine by which we live. And, and so he drew a diagram there on the uh, paper there on our table. I, I'm sure our waitress loved seeing that. She's wondering, what in the world is this all about? And, and, and it's amazing when you think about the heart. Here, here's what the heart does. All right, on, on one side of the heart, coming from the upper body and the lower body, is all the blood. It flows into, into the side of the heart, and it comes in, and it has already deposited all of the oxygen that has been used to help the body function. So the heart receives the blood, and then it says, uh-oh, that blood can't be used again unless it's filled back up. So it sends it to the lungs, and it goes out to the lungs and it receives oxygen and, and then the blood comes back to the heart and the heart sees it and says, now that this has been refueled, we can send you back out. So the other side of the heart sends it back to the upper and the lower body. And now that the blood is filled with oxygen, it can make your body function. I said, wow, pretty amazing. And this is what love does in the body of Christ. Love is something that receives what might be considered useless or in need of something or lacking something in people. And, and love sees to it that it's filled and then sent back out so that the body of Christ can function. Love really is the heart of the body, as we'll see today. And in, when Paul writes this chapter on love, it's beautiful, it's poetic. It has a certain rhythm to it. And, and, and that's why perhaps we at a wedding ceremony, as we stand there, we love to hear these words about a bride and a groom. But there's more to it than that because here's what's happening. Paul, and he's writing uh, to the Corinthians, he's reminding them, uh, he's speaking to, a, to them in a passage on the body of Christ, on the gifts of the body and, and on the individual members, how every member of the body of Christ is important, on the strength and the, uh, and the diversity of the body. And so this whole section is on the 
body of Christ. And so he comes to them, and right in the middle of this, he says, here is what is most important. It is love. If this body is going to function, if this body is going to do everything that God has designed it to do. And this is what we've looked at over the past three weeks. We've looked at the head of the body who is Christ. As we observe the Lord's Supper together and we see in him the example we're to follow. And we've seen the fitness of the body. How that we as a body are made up of individual parts. And if one part doesn't work, it hurts the body as a whole. And this is why we, we long to see every single person engaged in ministry. That's why, that's why we've put together this ministry fair out there, not to highlight who we are, but to help you help us serve the body well. And then last week we talked about the tools of the body, the gifts of the body. How are we all equipped to do what God has designed you as individuals to do so that the body can be helped? So he comes to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and he says, here is the glue, if you will, that binds all of this together. Here is the distinguishing mark of the church because Jesus said, by this will all men know that you are my disciples if you have this one characteristic, love. And without love, the church loses it's lifeblood. It dries up and it becomes a hollow shell of everything that is designed to be. Love is incredibly important. So what does the scripture say and what does Paul say to the church and what does the Holy Spirit say to us this morning? All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, if you have your place. Let's read verses 1 through 3 as a start. And here's what it says. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love... I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So thought number one this morning, if you're taking notes, is this, that love ranks above gifts, above abilities, above sacrifices in the body. It's a pretty powerful statement that Paul makes here. That love ranks above gifts, it ranks above abilities, it ranks above sacrifice. Now, this doesn't mean we don't need those things. Quite the opposite. But what Paul is saying is that if love does not infuse gifts and abilities and sacrifices, they're empty. They're empty. Now, understand why Paul has to say this to this church. Just a couple of things to remind us of the setting of this church and why he says it to them. All right? Number one. First thing that comes to mind, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul introduces uh, the book, the letter. He sends his greetings, and the very first thing right out of the gate is this. He says, some of you, he says, there's divisions among you over who you follow. Some of you say that I'm a, I'm a follower of Paul. Some of you say that I'm a, a follower of Apollos. Some of you say that I'm a follower of Cephas or of Peter. And some of you get really spiritual and hoity-toity. go, no, 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 we're followers of Jesus, all right? And he's saying there's divisions among you, and he says this shouldn't be so, all right? We, we move a few pages later, and we come to the middle of the book, and something has happened, and Paul says, now wait a second. 
I, I, I don't understand this. He says there are some of you who are believers and you're taking other believers to court. You're, 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 you're literally suing them in a court of law. And, and I like his phrase. He says, aren't any of you wise enough to kind of see that as you come publicly in the open, as one believer pits himself against another believer, that people can't understand the love that you're supposed to have for one another? Later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the section on the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper originally was a, um, a meal they would eat together. So it was kind of potluck. They would come and they would bring their food and they would fellowship together. And this is how they would worship the Lord. And in the middle of that meal, they would recognize Jesus has died for our sins. He's been resurrected again. And so we eat this meal to remember him. And in, first, in, in, in Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, here's what's happening. They're coming and they're bringing food and some people don't have any food. And some people aren't eating. And maybe it's because they don't have money. Maybe it's because they're being discarded. Maybe it's because they're being put to the side there. And Paul says, listen, gang, you, you can't come together and celebrate the, the death of Christ and his love for the whole body, and you're leaving other people out. Here's the point. Throughout the book of 1 Corinthians, they were striving to be a church, and, and they were they were clamoring to have these gifts. And this is why Paul has to come to them in, in chapter 12 and say, here's the deal on your gifts and your abilities. Because they all wanted these gifts that brought attention to themselves. And he says, now hold it. Now wait a second. 1 through 3 of chapter 13. You can have all of these gifts. There's a bunch of gifts lifted there in that paragraph that we just read. Prophecies and knowledge and faith and giving and speaking in tongues. All of these things. These are gifts. And Paul says, now listen though, church, if you have all of these things and you don't have love for people, you're leaving people behind in a desire to practice what you think you have. And, and he's saying... You, you're not supposed to leave people behind. The gifts and the abilities and the sacrifices are for people, for the body, to build them up, to strengthen them and to encourage them and to love them. And so that people, when they look at the body, they see this mutual giving of what the Spirit has put into them and used to great effect because the body is thinking not how can I use my gift? But the body is thinking, God, you have given me a gift. How can I love people? How can I serve people? How can I shepherd and nurture and care and strengthen people? This is why the gifts are given. And this is why Paul can say in verse 1, hey, you can knock it out of the park when it comes to speaking. It's a prophecy. And to, you, you, can, you can speak. You can have the gift of tongues. And you can wow people with, with this amazing ability, with this amazing gift. You can have the, you can have the gift of, uh, of communicating through, through preaching and through teaching. You can be so good that they say, that guy speaks as if heaven, an angel from heaven has come down and, and could communicate. And he says, you know what? If you do that and, and you do it for the, for the attention that it garners to yourself and you don't have the motivation that your preaching and teaching is going to reach into the hearts and it's going to raise up people. It's going to build up and strengthen the body of Christ. He says you're, you're, you're like a, a, a gong or a clanging cymbal. You remember the gong show? I'm going to date myself here a little bit. Do you remember the gong show? I was a little boy <laughs> when that show came on. I was a little boy. 
And um, I, I used to laugh so hard when um, they would have these contestants come on and they would do the craziest things, right? I mean, this is the forerunner kids, students, to America's Got Talent, the voice American Idol. We had, this was long before that, right? And they, they would come out and they would perform, right? And, and there'd be this, this gong that would go off. And I just laugh every time that, that, that they would gong these individuals, you know. And, and Paul is saying, listen, if you, if you come and you use your gift as something that draws attention to yourself just to perform, he, he goes, you know what, it's like a gong that goes off. Or, or a symbol, clanging symbol. You know what? None of you, I'm, I'm taking a guess here, none of you have ever gone down to the Peace Center, downtown Greenville, to, to, see a, to, to hear a cymbal concert. I, I don't think that happens, right? Cymbals are meant to what? To work in concert with the incredible gifts and abilities of the entire orchestra. And, and Paul says, you, you can have all the gifts, you can have all the abilities, but if it's meant for you simply just to exercise without love for the body, you're just playing a tune by yourself. It doesn't sound good. Verse 2, if you have, have these powers of prophecy where you can, you can see to where God is leading people and, and, and you communicate that and, and you, can, you understand all mysteries and you have all knowledge. Paul had these gifts to explain the great mysteries of the gospel. And, and, and then I like this. If you have all faith so as to remove mountains, but you have love, you, you are nothing. Can you imagine walking out and, and someone saying, hey, come here. See that mountain over there? Watch this. This is what Jesus said. This is the type of faith we're, we, you know, that we can have. And they were the, to actually move the mountain. If, it, if you were to see something supernatural happen, Paul says, that's fine, and that's good if it's used for people. But if there is no sense of moving mountains with great faith in order to bring people along with that, he says it. I don't say it. It's nothing. It's nothing. It's hollow. It's hollow. If you give away everything, everything that you own, if you, if you were to come this morning and come down front and say, pastors, here, here's what we've done this week. We, we sold the house. Really? You sold the house? Why'd you do that? Well, um, we, we just feel that we want to give away everything that we own, and we put the furniture in there. We factored the price in that, and, and cars. We don't own cars anymore. We've given, we, we've sold our cars, and um, everything that we own, so clothes, we have a set of clothes for, for a couple of days, and that's it, and, and we just want to give this to you. Can you imagine someone coming with that? I would just hold that check in utter amazement, but Paul says, if you give away Everything that you own, and it's not for the purposes of seeing others bless you. You don't give generously for the gospel and for the body of Christ. And if it's just because you have to do this or it's going to look good, if you give your whole life, you're burned at the stake. He says, can you imagine giving your life? But if there is not the heart of the gospel and God's love for you, as it's demonstrated through Christ, pouring out to other people, then is nothing. I'd still take your check, by the way. I wouldn't give it back to you. I'd still take it, right? But Paul says, you got to have love. Now, here's a definition of love that I've come up with. 
Because you might be wondering, the, the word love, we, we throw it around so easily. Here's a simple definition of love that I use for this passage and for this week as I think of God's love for me. Because you see, the word that's used for love here is the word that's used overwhelmingly in the New Testament. It's not even close. Because there's a couple of different types of love that's used in the New Testament. One type of love is friendship love. I love um, you because I like you. I love you because my emotions and my feelings are, uh, are, are open towards you and we have some connection, we have some affinity together, so, so that's one type of love. Another type of love is where um, the, the sexual romantic type of love, where we get the word erotic. That, that's, you know, another type, all right? But, but here's the word that's used overwhelmingly in the New Testament, the word agape, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And this word, as a definition, here's how I use it, is simply to do this, that you take sacrificial steps in order to see someone move closer to God. And this is a type of love that I'm to have for my wife. There's a friendship love there. There's a romantic love there. But there's a commitment where I am taking sacrificial steps in order to see her move closer to God with my children. There are times when, as a father, I simply have to commit to sacrifice to them, whether in correction or in discipline or, or whatever it might be, in generosity and great grace, whatever. But here's the goal. I, I commit to those two children to move them closer to God. This is the type of biblical love that God has given to us, that God, through Christ, has committed to you in your sin and in your rebellion against him, God has said, I will take the sacrificial steps to love them. So God loved you, loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And this is what Paul is saying here. And if you don't use these gifts and abilities and these sacrifices, if there is not infused in them this sense of loving others, then Paul says, here's what we're doing. We're measuring what we do on the outside without taking to account the measurement of God, and that is on the heart with the love that we have for one another. Which brings us to the second thought this morning. As God has shown us great love, is this, that love receives God's actions toward us and redirects them towards other people. All right, let's read verses four through seven together. Here's what it says. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. All right, so, so Paul here, first three verses says, listen, love ranks above abilities, gifts, and sacrifices. All right, so infuse everything with love. Just don't see it as a duty or a responsibility or a slot to fill. See it as people to reach. But then he comes secondly and he says, all right, here's what that looks like if you're wondering. 
And here's what unlocks our heart to love people, to see those gifts used in the lives of other people. And that is, in that paragraph, we see God's love towards us. We see this in the gospel. We see this in the good news that Christ has died for us. Every single one of those words. If you want to go home, there are 15 actions there that love is characterized by. Go home and do this. I did it this morning. Read those verses and say, God's love towards me is patient when I was a sinner and as I fall short of God's love and God's glory. God's love towards me is kind when I'm not kind towards him. God's love towards me through Christ and the cross doesn't count my offenses against me. But instead, God's love towards me is full and gracious. You go on and on and on, and you'll see this amazing parallel between God's love and the cross and us. But what gets in the way? We can read those words. We can pick out one. Yeah, maybe I'm not being kind. Yeah, maybe I've been irritable or rude. Yeah, I've maybe been... been, um, not believing and hoping in my wife or in my children as I should. We can kind of pick one or two out. But here's what, what I want to do. Here, here are three things that gets in the way of us loving other people like we should. Because we can read that, we've heard that, but I, I can't do that to my full ability. Why not? Why not? I think there are three things, real quickly. Number one, what gets in the way? Ourselves. Ourselves. Everything about this paragraph rubs against my demanding, self-centered life. Everything. Patient and kind. Thinking of, other, not insisting on my own way, but thinking of other people. I see in this paragraph the opposite of myself when I just naturally let myself go. I think of myself. I get in the way. I get in the way. I can't love others because of my own heart, my own heart. Secondly, the past, the past. There is something in our past, there is someone in our past that there, we, we just can't release, that, that there is something that causes us to freeze up and not to love them or to love other people. Love releases the past in order to press forward for the good of other people. That very first word there, love is patient, verse 4. It brings with it the idea that there is a slowness to count offenses against me. That word there, resentful, in verse 5, it literally means that you are, you do not count up wrongdoing. What if God counted up the wrongdoing that we have have committed against him? How would he respond to us? And he has responded to us and he said, here's my son for you. But here's what we do. That we look at someone or something from the past and and we we, we literally can catalog and, and, and we literally could sit down and write out, this is what they've done. This is how they've wronged me. This is how they've wronged others. And there is a sense where love says, you know what? I'm going to forgive and I'm going to release. And and I'm going to walk through that if I have to. But I'm going to forgive and I'm going to release this. 
not resentful. Love is not revengeful. Love instead releases, releases itself to find pleasure not in wrongdoing. I, I think it's interesting, verse 6, it says that, that love is not resentful. It doesn't count the wrongdoings of others against us. And it doesn't revel or, or think about or rejoice in wrongdoing. There's, there's kind of this yuck factor that comes in relationships where, where there's these offenses going on. And, and it's almost as like a train wreck of these wrongdoings. And you find your heart. You find your heart wanting bad things to happen or evil things to happen to somebody else because of what they've done in the past. And Paul says, hold it. That's not the gospel that has come to you. The gospel that has come to you has forgiven you and has shown you great mercy. So therefore, don't glory in the wrongdoing. Instead, rejoice in the truth. Rejoice and find the truth and rejoice in that. Want the truth more than you want to be right. Want the truth more than you want to get your way. Want the truth more than you want the record to be corrected. This is hard. This is incredibly hard. But Paul says, if you're going to love as God has loved you, you must do this. Third, your circumstances. Your circumstances. Notice what it says there in verse 7. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endure all things. All right, so here's the deal. Love does this. It's kind of, as one writer said, there's these bookends of bearing and enduring. There, there's these, there, there's a there's sense that love does this. It bears the weight of the circumstances of individuals. And on the other end, it endures that weight. And in the middle, as it's bearing and enduring, there's this believing and there's this hoping right in the middle. And what it's saying is this, love doesn't give up on people. Love doesn't, doesn't say there's no chance. Love doesn't do this with his hands and say, I'm done. <laughs> what if God did that with you? Instead, love bears and endures and believes and hopes and says, my God, who is all gracious and all merciful and all powerful, my God can work in the lives of other people. So therefore, I will love them and I will bear and I will endure. Paul says, bring this to the table, church. Bring this to your table as you serve and as you, as you love people. And so what do we need to do? We need to confess. We need to confess that we don't love sometimes because of our own hearts, because the gospel hasn't worked in us. I was sitting with a, a guy in my office today, or this past week, and um, as we were walking through some things, and we, we were pointing towards the hope the hope of, of a restored relationship, the hope of, uh, of the joy of seeing change, and the, the hope that you have that if only you could get to this point, that there, there, there'd be relief or there would be, there would be solutions and, and, and all of those things. You know, but I, I said to him this, but you know what? The hope that you look for and the hope that I look for is now, and it's in the gospel now, the Savior that you're looking for, 
The Savior that you're looking for, for in that restored relationship, the Savior that you're looking for in that relief is now. Do you understand that? The Savior of the gospel is now as we come to the gospel every day, to the, to the cross. We sang it at the 9 o'clock service this morning. When I survey the wondrous cross, when I look at the cross, here's what I see. Love flowing mingled down and I see my sin and I see God's love coming and transforming my heart and I find my savior now I find my hope now I find the love flowing down now I don't have to wait and I confess God I don't have the type of love that I need because maybe in my own heart the love of Christ hasn't flown into me And so as that love comes in and transforms our heart, we confess and we see God's great love. And when we're forgiven and when we're cleansed and when we see God's openness and graciousness towards us, we can't help but saying, there is my Savior now. Therefore, I can go and I can love. Maybe some of you just need to come to the cross this morning. Some for the very first time, perhaps. And say, here is my heart. You've never, you don't know Christ. You, you don't know this love personally. And I pray that you would open your heart. But for those of us who are followers of Jesus, oh, how we desperately need the gospel every single day. But then there's a balancing act. There's this hope in the, in the, in the gospel, and we, we pray it changes our lives, but you know what? There's this balancing act that, that we simply just kind of don't, don't wait on the side and go, you know what, uh, I, I'm going to keep coming to the cross daily. I'm going to keep pouring my, my heart out daily. That's part of it. But I'm not going to do anything until I feel like I'm going to, I, I should act. Until I, I feel spiritual enough. I, I feel like I'm on top of it enough. I feel like I've got this thing, okay? Um, if you wait for the feeling, then you're never, ever going to act. I love what Tim Keller said. In in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, one of the best marriage books I've ever read. And here's what he said, and I thought this was so good. For us who who kind of are just waiting for the right feeling, waiting for the right time, waiting for us to kind of spiritually be on top a little bit. Here's what Tim Keller says. He says, in any relationship, there will be frightening spells in which your feelings of love dry up. Any of you husbands and wives there right now? And when that happens, you must remember that the essence of marriage is that it is a covenant, a commitment, a promise of future love. So what do you do? You do the acts of love despite your lack of feeling. You may not feel tender and sympathetic and eager to please, but in your actions, you must be tender, understanding, forgiving, and helpful. And if you do that, as time goes on, you will not only get through the dry spells, but they will become less frequent and deep, and you will become more constant in your feelings. This is what can happen if you decide to love. Isn't that good? Decide to love. You, you come to the cross, and you say, I don't have that type of love. And you're filled up just as the heart receives that blood and and it's sent out and it's restored. You come to the cross and you're filled up with the love of God. But then you act. You act. You take that step of serving and loving.
Finally, and, and quickly, love does this. Love reflects today the full glory to come. Read with me verse 8. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. All these gifts, they're, they're, they're going to go away. For we know in part and will prophesy in part. The gifts of knowledge, the gifts of prophecy, it's just partial for, for, for today. But when the perfect comes, verse 10, when Christ comes, when Christ makes all things new, when the bride of Christ is joined to the, to the groom and it's this beautiful, beautiful new day, this new world in which we live in, when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Then he uses two illustrations. Number one, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up all those childish things. So Paul is saying, hey, here's an example, church. Hey, there was a point where I operated like a little boy, but then when I, when I reached adulthood, I put all those things behind it, and I operated on a totally different new level. Paul says this is what's going to happen in the church. He uses another example. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, just as you look into a mirror, you can only see in part, so it is with what we have, with our gifts and with our abilities and with our sacrifices. It's only partial and it's only temporary. He's not saying, then don't don't cast them to the side, but take them and use them. Use them passionately. And here's where I want to inspire you this morning. I want you to take your gifts, and I want you to take your abilities, and I want to take what God has given you. I want you to take your, 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 your sacrifices, and I want you to say, God, here they are. Here's how I'll use them. And I want you to infuse them with love for other people, with love for this body, with love for boys and girls and students and men and women, and to, and to use those gifts and to go out in the ministry fair and to fill out the spiritual survey and say, God, here is my act of worship to you. I want to love other people. I want to build up this body. I want to love them. But Paul says, as you do that, just know this. Here's what you're doing. You're pointing to the glory of God to come. There's nothing more beautiful and glorious, nothing that reflects the love of Christ more when you see someone who sacrificially just gives of themselves for the sake of other people. It's just a little taste of the glory to come. It's just a little snippet of what we're in store for. It's it's the encouragement that God is at hand. And it's what you do well, tailors, when you use your gifts for the sake of other people. So I pray you will this morning. I pray as we wrap up this service that you will recognize the incredible potential in this room when infused with a love for this body, infused with a love for people who are hurting, who are broken, for people who come in and worship with us, who connected to life groups but are, are wandering and wavering, the ability to reach kids and students, to love families, all because God has loved you. May it be so for this body. Will you pray with me right now? Father, We ask now that you would, in both of our rooms, by your Spirit, speak to the heart of every individual. Lord, for some to come to faith in Jesus, for some to run to the cross and receive that love 
that Paul lists there. For, for others, Lord, I pray that they would come with an open heart and an open mind about the gifts that they've been given. Lord, we've tried over the course of these few weeks to point out you have something to offer. What's holding you back? We, Lord, want to bring opportunities. And Father, we want to encourage and inspire. So Lord, we pray that by your spirit, people will say yes. Yes, I'll engage in ministry. I'll engage in a powerful way under the Holy Spirit's power for the sake of loving people and seeing the body move forward. So Lord, as we close this series and we close this time, move your people into action and be pleased because we do it with the love of Christ in whose name we pray. Amen and amen.